0: I will call upon you to do a service for me play the Godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family
1: no purchase necessary Vgw group Void we prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply with the lucky lands slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Jay here from Stretford Paddock and this is the first ever episode of the Tier 1 Transfer podcast. Joining me is my co-host Ronaldo. Ronaldo, what can we expect from this podcast?
2: We can expect top-tier journalists, all exclusive news surrounding Manchester United and all the other big clubs.
0: What better way to start the show by speaking to the chief football writer from the Times, Henry Winter. Me and Ronaldo spoke to Henry earlier today and here's what he had to say. Henry, thanks for joining us.
1: Hi Jay, hi Ronaldo and congratulations on your new start. It's like a new start for the club as well as you guys. Well, this is it, yeah. New Exciting. beginnings. Exciting times. Um, we'll crack straight on.
0: Listen, um, you talk about it's like a new start for United and one of the reasons behind that has been the form of Bruno Fernandes. He's been a revelation um, since he came into the United team. But there is a lot of fans asking the question, why didn't United sign him sooner? Why did we wait till January? What's your understanding of that? Why, did, why didn't Bruno come in the summer, for example?
1: I mean, I guess as ever with Manchester United, it was financial. It was having to go through the structure and it was a little bit... a little bit delayed in, in acting, whether they will now being a little bit more assertive in the market, obviously post-pandemic. Manchester United in a very strong position because of their financial strength. They'll be able to move more swiftly, more decisively. It looks like you might have a similar uh, issue with uh, with Sena- with Sancho. But my view with Manchester United is, if you've got a player who wants to come, and Bruno Fernandes has clearly been signalling that he wants to come, if you've got a player of that quality, if you've got a player who... You're crying out for that sort of inventiveness, that sort of authority, that sort of player who when he puts on the Manchester United shirt. And I've spoken to so many people at the club down the years who say a player comes in and the shirt weighs heavily. You know, we've, we've all seen it with many good players who come into Manchester United. And there's a lot of pressure there, not simply from the fans or the media, but just the whole history of the club. And also when they walk out to their first training session and they go into the Rondo. And then, you know, a few years back, you've got skulls, or you've got uh, Keane peeing a ball at you to see whether you're good enough for Manchester United. That ethos still lives on in Carrington. Players are tested when they come in. So you've got to have that strong personality. Bruno Fernandes, anyone who had seen him play or knew his character or talked to people in, in Portugal, knew that he had that character. Ditto with, uh, with Sancho. There'll be no question if Manchester United get hold of uh, Jaden Sancho, you can argue, do you necessarily need that sort of type of player with the development of Greenwood, and I'm still a sort of James fan. Um, I think there are other issues that Manchester United can address, but in terms of Bruno Fernandes, yeah, they, you know, they could have got him last year, and maybe some criticism could be aimed at Ed Woodward. Um, but he's here now. He's hit the ground running, and he's a he's he's just he hasn't been the complete catalyst because I think a lot of other people deserve credit for it. I think you look at the way. Matic has come back, you look at the way so Solskjaer seems to have grown in, into the role, the look at the, the influence of the coaches behind the scene at Manchester United obviously Marcus Rashford has, has trained on, Mason Greenwood has has come to the fore, Luke Shaw's been playing well, they've worked really hard with Aaron Wan-Bissaka v ones he's defending as well as his ability getting forward and the crossing we're seeing more of that, so I think Everyone's looking at Bruno Fernandes. Everyone maybe is looking at it as a, as a stick still to beat Ed Woodward with. Um, but it'd be far worse if Manchester United hadn't got him. So if the only criticism that's going to be laid at Manchester United's door at the moment is they could have got this fantastic player four or five months earlier, then I think that's a legitimate criticism. But the fact is, he's here and quite rightly, you're celebrating him. Good
2: stuff. Good stuff. On, on the topic of Matic, you wrote recently about. How like important he's been to kind of um, United's recent kind of reju- rejuvenation almost, um, and obviously he's just signed a three-year contract at the age of 31. Why do you, what do you think about them extending his contract rather than looking in the transfer market for like a kind of younger option?
1: Well, first I'm a fan of Garner. I mean I've seen him play behind closed doors at, at Carrington in youth games a couple of years ago, and I think he's got the sort of personality and the ability. You don't want to sort of uh, load down pressure on on you know young players too early. But I hope that Manchester United, look at him, he develops, obviously he needs to develop physically and tactically, decision-making and all that. But I think there's something around Ghana. I've seen it with the England age groups and I've seen it, as I say, behind closed doors at, at Carrington, that, that there is a player in there. So I think he will absolutely uh, develop, train on. Um, so, Matt, I mean, it was interesting. You looked at the players who were coming back from the uh, the lockdown. And all the stories coming out of the stats people were, I mean, and also the pictures you saw on Instagram of McTominay in training, you know, out training. Um, he just looked fantastic. He looked, I mean, the, the, the numbers that he was putting in, you know, he looks like a sort of 400-meter runner and the, the, the stats were, were fantastic. So, you know, you think I thought that he would return and build on it. But also I think maybe I overlooked, or certainly I overlooked, the fact how hard Matic had been training what a good player he is, how important he is for Manchester United in that position, with all that creativity around, you know, fe- effectively a sort of famous front five, if you include Pogba as a more attack-minded uh, midfield player with Bruno Fernandes and then the three up front. That position, that pivot role is really important. And Matic has always had that intelligence. I, I personally thought, uh, you know, a year ago, even six months ago, that maybe his mobility wasn't necessarily up to what... Solskjaer was trying to bring back in, which was that fluidity, that pace, that attacking momentum that Manchester United has always been famed for, which really disappeared, unfortunately, for, for two, three, four years. Um, but Matic, look, he's an intelligent player. He's a hungry player. He's, he's a Serb. You know, he's, he's, he's going to go out and do everything he can to win. He's, he is a winner. But I just think maybe it's something physical with him. He, he looks... I don't know. I've, I've not talked to him. I've not sort of been up close to him, but he looks lean and hungry and, and just, he just looks an athlete. Personally, I was surprised it with three years. I assumed they'd offer him a new contract because of the way that he was, he was playing. Um, so look, it's fantastic for Manchester United. You've got a player in there. And look, I, I mean, a year ago, I think when I talked to you, I wasn't probably the biggest fan of Fred. I think Fred's had a Terrific season. McTominay, obviously, is, is is training on, is continuing to train on. Um, so it's great that Manchester United have got options in that area. Henry, obviously, you've been attending games and covering football matches. What have you, what's it been like being in the
0: ground with, with no fans? What have you made of it all?
1: Sad. Really sad. I mean, you go to games and there isn't the adrenaline. I mean, I'm I'm just going there as a journalist to report on things. But as reporters, you're effectively holding up the mirror to the game, to the occasion, to all the things that people who aren't at the game, th- they want to know about. I mean, they don't simply just want to know headers and volleys. They want to know about the atmosphere, the mood, what people are talking about, what it's like outside the ground, what it's like inside the ground. And I'm mean, going to been into, I think, eight or nine BCD games now, and they're just, they're just grim, they're soulless. I mean, I was at Spurs last night, and you just wander through these great sort of caverns that they've got there, which are normally full of fans. Um, and you, you know you can slag off this or the sort of you know the corporate and slightly gentrified world of sort of modern football stadium, but it's still buzzing with people. There's still an electricity there. And for the first three games that I went to, I sat in the ground and I texted uh, fans from supporters groups of each of the, the teams who were playing, and I said, "Listen, it's important that I reflect your views in my match reports um, because it's you know it's it's the old thing. I mean it's, it's you know Busby saying fans without." You know, um, games without fans, football without fans are nothing. I mean, it's many great managers have, have said that and echoed those sentiments. And, you know, and it's he's right. And it is just I hope the authorities realize how important fans are. The players certainly do. You can see it. They're only at 80 percent. There isn't that intensity. There isn't that adrenaline. I was talking to Jack Grealish and he was saying it's not simply having the whole End lifting me. I thrive off them. It's also having the opposition fans slagging me off because I'm the type of player that sort of opposition fans are sort of like to boo or whatever. And he says he thrives off that. And I just think it's, 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 it is soulless. I think that's the only way to describe it. So I think when, when project restart ends and project reset, as I'm sure the premier league will, will call it. And when the, when the league returns in whatever it is, the second weekend in, in September, I hope they do appreciate the importance of fans because the money that the Premier League get through television and radio broadcasting, a chunk of that money is overseas broadcasters, home broadcasters, Sky and BT, pay because of you guys, because of the backdrop, because of the Stretford end, because of the car, because of all these great stands and the great. Historic support in this country. I mean, I would say, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, because I'm talking to you. I've written this on countless occasions. You've got the best away support in the country. I mean, it is formidable. You go, and even when the team's been crap under Jose and not particularly inspiring under Van Gaal, you were there. You were supporting the you noise. Know, I mean, I, I helped Michael Carrick with a book, and he, he, he took his son to the Burnley game. I think he was also at Turf Moor. He was also in the uh, Anfield Road end where Manchester United were there as well. And he he talked about what it was like to be with the away fans. The away fans are absolutely vital in this country. That's why I've I've always thought, and I'm one small voice amongst many. But this whole twenties plenty, the cost for away fans, particularly when you put it on top of you guys know what the the M6 and the M60 are like trying to get out of there. I mean. You know, at, at night trying to get home. You know, some people live far away. They have to travel. It's, it's really difficult with kickoff times being changed. So look, this is, a, this is a, a long rant, which many journalists will express, which many football fans will express. That Fans have got to be treated better. I'm a big fan of the Football Supporters Association. They've got to be harder. They've got to be more militant. Fans got to be more militant like they are in Germany. Take a stand, Manchester United fans, Liverpool fans. You two, as sets of sport have always been really good, really strong, standing up to owners, standing up to things that, that are changing in the game. Got to do it more. Keep doing it. Get other clubs involved. The good, look, Newcastle United fans are going—you know—been campaigning against Ashley. Fans have got to campaign more um, because because of the cost. Because for me, as a as a journalist, going into grounds. Just honestly, come to a game behind closed doors. I know you'd like to, but you would sit there in the stand, socially distanced from your mates. And we're all friends in the in the press box, even though we're rivals, but you're socially distanced from each other. You look round and you say, this is just so wrong. This, if anyone has had any doubts about the vital, essential nature of fans as the lifeblood of the game, go to a BCD game and you'll realise how important they are. And I just hope the authorities, the Premier League and the Excuse me, and the broadcasters do, because as everyone says, you know, it's just it's just it's horrible in there. It really is. Henry, moving forward in terms of next season,
0: do you think football should go ahead without any fans in the ground?
1: Uh, yeah, what I met with Project Reset is that I think they've just got to have a, a new era of appreciating supporters and realizing actually, and the fans have got to be more militant on this as well, and actually saying we are part of the the spectacle, you know, the show as the Premier League calls it we 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 should actually be not recompensed financially but certainly in terms of lower ticket prices uh more understanding on on kickoff times you you guys kicked off at three o'clock on a saturday i think last weekend and i was going this is weird manchester united at three o'clock on a on a on a saturday it was just you know the, f- the famous fanzine was called When When Saturday Comes. I think Liverpool changed one of their fanzine titles to When Sunday Comes. You guys get messed around the whole time. And if this pandemic and these games behind closed doors have confirmed one thing, is you look down the leagues, the fact that the uh, they're not getting fans into the grounds, that is sending clubs to the wall. You look at the Premier League, no fans in the grounds. You've got broadcasters saying... This isn't, this isn't the show, this isn't the spectacle. Okay, we've got Kevin De Bruyne, okay we've got Mason Greenwood, okay we've got great actors on the stage, but football is not simply about the 90 minutes and the 22 players. It's about, you know, the, the backdrop. So, look, when football returns, and it's supposed to come, I think it's on the 12th of September, 11th, 12th, 13th the Friday, probably be the first game. Um, look, they might have like 5,000, 10,000 people in the grounds, but I would be surprised if we see full grounds before January, because I think they'll grow out. I know there's all the lockdowns breaking down and, and pe- things are vaguely returning to normal, but I think it will take a bit of time. Um, so, but absolutely. But in terms of, for me, Project Reset is just a reset in Premier League thinking, in clubs thinking, in terms of ticket prices, in terms of away prices as, as well. So, look, I've thought that for a long time. I've also thought the fans have got to be more militant.
0: Um, last time we spoke, you were singing the praises of Marcus Rashford. He said, you know, what a not just a great footballer he was, but what a great young man he was. What do you make of the summer he's had? Because he's, you know, he's been the sort of the toast of the country,
1: really, hasn't he? Well, I mean, who's the more important number 10 in the country at the moment? I mean, Marcus Rashford or Boris Johnson? I mean, he absolutely ran rings around Boris Johnson. I mean, I know a few politicians and I'm going, I was talking to them, I was saying, don't take on footballers. When Matt Hancock came out with his nonsense stuff about footballers not doing enough, I was thinking, okay, well, I know Marcus Rashford is involved in these, you know, it's not just the, uh, you know, the the, the the school meal scheme that uh, Rashford's been involved in. He was involved with um, UNICEF or Water uh, Initiative. He's obviously been involved in, you know, he's, he's just a good person. But footballers are like that. You know, footballers come from, backgrounds and they don't forget those backgrounds okay they live in nice houses and nice cars although actually you know i've been to marcus Rashford's place he's one of the least flashy people i've met in or out of football uh just very focused very dedicated he's got good people good family around him he's got an amazing um mother very strong woman i had uh had lunch with her and uh uh very very strong powerful a good person um, good values and she's bought Marcus Rashford and the, and the boys up the right way obviously Marcus's brothers are around him they're guiding him but I mean he's, you know, he's guiding him I mean he's you know he's a strong person he knows what he wants and you know, this is what the politicians didn't realise. And I don't want to make this a party political thing because they're sort of, you know, they're bad politicians and good politicians on either side. But they're just naive. They're just in their Westminster bubble. They don't realise the work that Marcus Rashford does when he goes back to Withenshaw, when he talks to sort of people on the street there, when he sort of gives them advice, but not in a patronising look what I've done, Wade more in a way of you can achieve what you want to in life, whether you want to go into dance, whether you want to go into journalism, whether you want to go into football, whatever sports of athletics, whether you want to be a doctor, whatever you want to do in life, just persist, strive And Marcus Rashford. is a fantastic role model for that. Uh, I mean, the way that he's, he, you know, he's fought through the back condition that he's had, which I think people became slightly more aware of after the Wolves game, when he was slightly surprisingly sort of, you know introduced to the pitch, um, you know, he's a tough guy mentally and physically. And I think Manchester United, well, look, first, it's huge credit to the academy, to Rashford's family, to the people around him, and above all, to, to him. He's got a good moral compass. And I just thought it's so naive of politicians like Matt Hancock when they were having a go at footballers and saying, Well, they've got to play their part. Well. I knew a lot of footballers who were taking wage cuts. You know, there's one player in London who I would say probably gives about three, four million quid a year to assorted charities. Now, there was an issue for players at their clubs if they sort of decided to take wage cuts. Is that effectively just easing uh, an issue for a multi-billionaire who's living in the Everglades or he's living in Russia or wherever? I can completely understand why. Um, Harry Maguire has been absolutely brilliant with this and the players together initiative with Mark Noble and Kevin De Bruyne and Jordan Henderson, all the captains coming together, all the sort of leading players coming together and doing something and just doing the right thing, not because for PR and Rashford's never been for PR, but because it's the right thing to do. Because if anyone knows and they know far more than politicians and far more than me, because I had sort of quite a privileged upbringing, they know the sort of the issues that are out there. On the NHS medical side, I mean, what what group of young people know most how important doctors and nurses are? Young sportsmen and women, because they because in a way their careers are you know in the hands of gifted medical people. So they appreciate how much you know what the NHS uh, do. They appreciate how important it is for young kids to have people keeping an eye on them. I mean, I don't know Marcus extremely well, but I've you know, I've done interviews with him down the years um, and i sort of thought I've sort of scratched the surface. I didn't know he'd been to soup kitchens as a kid. I didn't know he'd used food banks. So when he came out of that, I think he spoke about it in his BBC interview, I found that very, very powerful. But another indication. Of of why he's driven like this to look after people in with mature. and what really impressed me, look, so many things impressed me about Marcus Rashford off field as well as on. But actually, when he'd won, when he'd made a complete idiot out of Boris Johnson and the politicians who were going no no this can't be done and one or two of them were having a pops at him on twitter and then one or two of them can even remember his name i mean how disgraceful is that that he then actually he was incredibly dignified in victory and he said look this is this is what sh- this is what happens when the country comes together and i thought that that you know he's 22 i thought that was really really classy. so i hope some politicians have have learnt their lesson there I hope Hancock shows a bit more humility in the future. I mean, look, Boris Johnson, you, you know, you can see he's still not recovered from, uh, f- from the virus. He's lost his old swagger, but he shouldn't have taken on a footballer with a cause.
2: Completely agree. Obviously, coming from like one academy graduate to another, with the current form of Greenwood in a way he's pretty much like forced his way into the attacking lineup. where do you see him in, like, the, in the future of Ollie's plans going into next season?
1: an essential part of it and i I think it's probably an essential part of england going to the euros i think that you know what's really interesting and I, i i've spoken to carrick about um mason Greenwood, and on the record michael carrick just eulogized about a young player now often you talk to coaches and managers at clubs and they're if they've got a real star player coming through They'll often try to take the heat out of the situation. They don't want anything to go to the player's head. But they can obviously completely trust Mason Greenwood's personality, the fact that he's grounded, the fact he's got good people around him, the fact that he, he listens, he learns, he's developing. And you could hear it with Solskjaer's comments in press conference. You could hear it when I spoke to Michael Carrick recently at one of his foundation events You know, he spoke glowingly about Mason Greenwood, about how he was developing. And I mean, Carrick, I mean Carrick, you know, great technical player, but he just laughed when I said, you know, which is which is Mason Greenwood's better foot? You know, everyone says he favours his left, but he can take penalties with his his right. We saw the other day he can finish with with both feet, and those were just unbelievable finishes. Uh, and, and Carrick just sort of laughed and he said, well, actually, you know, he's 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 good with both. And that's quite rare now, particularly with a player young. You all, you often hear about players saying, oh, I'm good on my right, but I'm working on my left. You know, in, but he's he's got that ability and he's got clearly the work ethic, which is what you need at Manchester United, which is what Solskjaer demands, which is what the fans demand. Um, and he will, go, he will go, you know, great places. I mean, he just looks a special. He's one of those players who if he played on snow, he wouldn't leave footprints. He just floats. He's got that gliding ability, that natural intelligence to take up the right positions. And that's, he's also got Fernandez and Pogba and good people around him. Juan Bissaka putting across his Rashford helping out. You know, he's got good people around him to, uh, to help. So I, I think that because he's got options, I don't think Solskjaer will use him overly as he did with Rashford I thought a year ago Rashford was being played too much particularly given that he had this well known back problem uh, so I think maybe Hill, will Solskjaer as an intelligent manager will bring Greenwood in and out I think ultimately in terms of you talk to young players and often they like the Thierry Henry, they like to cut in from the flank obviously Greenwood can do that on, on either foot so if you're playing effectively a 4-3-3 or 4-1-2-3 you want to call it Greenwood can play either side and cut in. But I think also because he's so calm in the box, because he can slow the game down and he's so nerveless, I think you can play him as a centre-forward. Look, you need to ask a more technical mind th- th- than mine, but I just think he's so gifted he can play anywhere across that front three.
2: The reason why I asked is because there was kind of this kind of thing going around where because of Greenwood's rise, people thought that it kind of lessened United's need to get Jaden Sancho in the summer.
1: What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I mean what, what's also been good is is Martial. I mean Martial, and I Manchester United fans love Martial, but I think his best form has been is pretty much been recently. I mean I saw his, was his debut and he came on. Sorry, he scored against Liverpool at Old Trafford. And he was he was terrific. He looked a great player, um, and I think he really looks like you know a proper number nine. He can play in that in that role, but I just think you need options. I mean if you're effectively going to play a front. Three and you've got Greenwood, Martial, and Marcus Rashford. Mmm. I'm sure you guys will come up with some clever um, name for it. You got Daniel James, who I think is a is a, is a terrific player. I remember when Daniel James was bought? He was one who was bought for next season. Um, so, and I think that he's got the sort the of personality and the, and the gifts. that work on his decision making, final ball, and all that. But I think there's a there's a player in there. But does Jaden? Can I see Jaden Sancho in a Manchester United shirt? Absolutely, because he's got that personality. Can I see him coming back to England? Uh, absolutely. I think the the model at Dortmund is you you buy young, you pay teenagers good wages, you then sell them on, and and if Sancho, I mean, look, they're asking for a, a, a lot of money, and Manchester United may feel they can negotiate a bit more in the post pandemic world. But I think if you got Sancho in there, I mean. Wow. But I I think if Sancho comes in, that makes sense. Manchester United have have got the money. It strengthens the squad, strengthens the options. You also, you're Manchester United. You should be competing for the Champions League. You should be competing for four trophies a year. You're going to need a a bigger squad, particularly in this slightly complicated year with the players are not really going to have much of a summer. It's going to be a truncated season. They're going into probably the under-21s and then the seniors next summer. The year after that, they're going, you're going into the World Cup. There's the African Cup of Nations for, for, for some clubs. So, look, a big squad makes sense. I still think you need... Personally, I think you need another centre-half. I think long-term, your goalkeeping, the succession to De Gea uh, will be Dean Henderson. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his because I've seen him play for the under-21s. I've seen him play for Sheffield United enough. And what I like about Henderson is that when he made a mistake, he comes out and talks afterwards. He comes out, he doesn't hide. You can't hide with Chris Wilder and you can't hide when you're playing for, for England, even the under-21s. You know, we wanted to talk to him after he made that mistake against France in the under-21s last summer. Came out, talked. strong, took responsibility. We move on. He's developing. Henderson will sort out your goalkeeping issues long-term. You might need somebody who's going to put pressure on De Gea, short-term. Um, a centre-half partner for... Uh, Harry Maguire, I would say, is your is your most pressing concern at the moment. But on Sancho, look, if you got, if Ed Woodward's got 120 million euros in his back pocket because of all this amazing commercial money that you generate, I'd much rather see you get um, Jadon Sancho than um, than the money just sit in the Glazers' bank account.
0: Yeah, I think we all we all would. Yeah. Um, I remember last time we spoke, you were sort of. You spoke about it. you were reluctant to, to overhype Greenwood. You said, you know, you've got to be careful with hyping certain young players. And with the likes of Greenwood, with the likes of even Sancho and, and, and Bellingham, do you think there is sort of too much hype sometimes and added, adding too much pressure
1: on these youngsters? Or do you think the, the sort of they're equipped to deal with it? I think if you come up through Manchester United's academy, like Greenwood and Rashford, obviously Bellingham and Sancho are slightly different. Um, if you come up through the Manchester United academy, and you walk through that corridor there, and you see the pictures of Giggs and Charlton and Best and Beckham and all these players who've, you know, legends of the club who've come up through the system, I think you understand the weight of expectation, and I think you live with it. And the good players respond to it, and we've seen players inhibited by it, and you've seen players actually blossom with it. So, no, I think that I think a player like Sancho, if he came in, he wouldn't have. He, you know, he wouldn't have a problem with dealing with that sort of uh, pressure do we put pressure on them? I think to an extent it's actually excitement, particularly if you you also you're covering England, which a lot of reporters, who also, because we kind of go to the top games, we cover Manchester United a lot of the reporters in the press box cover England, and there was a desire to see more talent coming through, and a bit more, swagger's not the right word, but more confidence and more belief coming through to England, so when you actually see players coming through Manchester United with Greenwood with, uh, I mean, Brandon Williams, I'm sure will get linked with with England. He's another local player as well. And he's a good, he's a fantastic talent. Um, Players like that, um, I I think it's natural to be excited. Okay, there's a bit of hyping. I mean, the whole thing about Greenwood a year ago is there was, slightly going back on what I said earlier about Greenwood, I kind of detect a mood change at Manchester United, and this might be purely a journalistic perception, is that, in the last year, they've realised that Greenwood can deal with the expectation, so they haven't minded praise for him. They haven't minded people within the building, i.e. Carrick and Solskjaer, talking so positively about Greenwood's qualities. Um, certainly two years ago, I don't think they wanted him mentioned too often, but, you know, t- you know, talent talks.
0: Definitely. Definitely. It's difficult
1: not to get
2: excited with Mason Greenwood. No, it's difficult. But, um... Onto another transfer target, or obviously kind of second in only behind the Jadon Sancho in kind of importance, as it seems, Jack Grealish. Who you mentioned earlier, he's actually obviously created the second most chances behind um, De- Kevin De Bruyne this season, and he's obviously been strongly linked to us. Could you see United actually solidifying that deal or not?
1: I mean, I, I always thought Madison was ahead of Grealish in that type of role that Manchester United would have would have gone to, but. I don't know. I, I just I just don't think that you, do you need a Grealish? Do you need a Madison? I mean, you've got Bruno Fernandez. I guess a lot of it is. I know Paul Pogba is a completely different player, but Pogba's better than Madison and Grealish. You know, I, I like Grealish. I like Madison. Good individuals. Good good footballers. Um, I mean, what's interesting about Grealish is that he, you know, as coaches say, he chews the ball. He he does. He, you know, he likes to to dribble, which is great because he gets free kicks. And that's good if you've got someone like Fernandez, you know, you can, you can whip in a free kick. So that is good. But Manchester United, for me, on the social, seem more about pace, quick transition, um, and and he's he's quick, but he's not Grealish. He's not lightning, nor is Madison. I don't know. Can I can I see Grealish or Madison getting in ahead of Fernandez or Pogba in those positions behind the front three? Absolutely no chance. So. Um, I don't, I can absolutely see why Villa will sell, whether they stay up or go down, and Madis, uh, sorry, Grealish will sort out lots of issues. Will Madison necessarily leave Leicester? I think Leicester will sell one this summer, probably be Chilwell to uh, to, to Chelsea, um, and then, you know, they're an incredibly wealthy club, so I don't think Leicester will necessarily need to sell two. Madison would absolutely love to play for Manchester United, I mean, you can just see that in his body language. Um, I don't know. I may be completely wrong. I have no inside information on so Grealish or, or Madison, but I wouldn't have thought. For me, I wouldn't have thought they were high up on their. Uh, this. You just look at the way the Manchester United play. You know, if you've got Sancho, Sancho can play left or he can play right. Actually, he can play. Senior play through the middle. He's a really intelligent player. He's not your orthodox number nine, but he's got that ability to play through there, as like Sterling has, has done occasionally for, uh, for, for 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 City. So. Grudish and Madison, yeah, look, people who work more on transfer speculation than, than me, I mean, maybe may, may ask then, but do Manchester United need either of those two? I'm not sure they do.
0: What did you make of the uh, the Angel Gomez situation? Because it looks at one point like he's going to sign a new deal and he didn't. How much of a, of a loss do you think that is for, for United not to be able to keep hold of a, a tired youngster like Angel?
1: I think you trust in the process, you trust in Solskjaer, you trust the people there, and I think if You know, everyone sees Solskjaer as this really nice individual, but you don't play at the top level that he's done. You don't go through the injuries that he's done. You don't go through the sort of managerial pressure that he would have been felt under at Manchester United and come through the other side. And now everyone's praising him without having a sort of tough, decisive element. He would have been heavily involved in any decision about uh, uh, Angel Gomez. I do think it's quite interesting you look at the reaction of, of a few of the other players. He's obviously a really popular individual. Um, I think he's sad, but you know if he wants to play regularly, I don't think he's necessarily going to do it at Manchester United in the next 18 months. Last time you spoke to Jay,
2: it almost seemed as if Pochettino was kind of waiting in the shadow, so to speak. Do you still kind of view it that way or do you believe that Ollie or United see Oli as the long-term option?
1: And no, I've always felt that, Sol- that I've always felt the Sol should be given the chance. I've always been a fan of Solskjaer. I mean that that night in Paris, I remember, you know, and just sort of it seemed like Manchester United were finding their way back. I could completely understand why there were a lot of people pushing for Pochettino, maybe within the building, and certainly uh, you know a lot of the media and a lot of the fans because Pochettino, you know, what a talent. Um, but no, I'm a big I'm a big fan of of Solskjaer. I mean I've. Chris Smalling hosted an event in in Manchester about about a year ago, and uh, Sol turnout and he was just so impressive, uh, an individual, so humble. Got a lot of time for him. I mean, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember his uh, his first press conference at, at at the Cliff, and it was when was it '96, and, and and Manchester United they had sort of like five or six players were being unveiled as as we call it, and there was some sort, of, you know decent names there big names and i remember talking to one of the coaching staff ferguson's coaching staff and he says social would be the best of the lot and he was what 21 or whatever i don't know how young he was um but he was just uh, a talent and we, we saw that sort of blossom um so no i'm a big i'm a big admirer if it's always been a you know supportive as you talk to the people in the club I'm not particularly well connected at the club, but you just, you know, one or two people there and you just you just hear that when Solskjaer comes in, you know, he knows the name of of all the people there, obviously, because he was there before. But he's just, you know, he's a very human person. He will stop. You know, television reporters will tell you this as well. You know, they'll interview him and, and Solskjaer will just sort of engage afterwards and before. He won't just rush off. He's a he's a good person, a good citizen. Um it's a little bit like the um, the sort of the famous all blacks thing. if I can use this word, you know, the the no dickheads policy. I think that is, yeah. so, you know, solskjaer has got that. You know, he's just he wants good people because he's a good person himself, and he's a he's very impressive. So I, look, I've always wanted him to, uh, to 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 do well. You know, I've always I hope spoken up in 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 support of him, partly because having been through Van and Mourinho, I felt Manchester United lost their way. I mean, I don't need you to to tell you that because you're right in the middle of it. But looking at it from the outside as someone who who respects the club and and goes there and and really enjoys going there. I like Manchester United's values. I like those old principles of, you know, the Ferguson, the Busby. Believe in youth. Attack, attack, attack. Um, Be fearless. Be emboldened by the shirt. I can remember Carrick talking about when he was at West Ham as a kid and he was in the corridor outside the the West Ham dressing room, the away dressing room just down the corridor. And he saw Keane and the Manchester United players sort of turn up in their, in their blazers. And he said, I want to wear that blazer. I want to wear that shirt. There's something about Manchester United. Fans will call it swagger. Players might call it authority. But there is something about that. And I think Solskjaer embodies that. Solskjaer embodies those principles. The attacking, never giving up. I mean, he embodies that last-minute goal Um, and I just think so I like I like that I think it's it's like he was the the guide to get Manchester United back on its old path Um, and it might be a slight sort of cliche oh let's rediscover the Ferguson way let's rediscover the Busby way but actually isn't that the DNA and the identity of Manchester United and if anyone identifies that never giving up attacking giving everything representing the club well on and off the pitch It's Olly Gunnar Solskjaer. So I think Manchester United not only found the right manager to take them forward, but also the right person to take the club forward. I'm not a fan of the Glazers. I've been critical of them from from the word go. I think they're, I mean, don't need to tell you this, but they're clearly they're simply for financial reasons. And I think Manchester United have lost their way as a club under Manchester, uh, sorry, under, under the Glazers. It's become all about the money rather than about the football. And what I liked about Solskjaer, is that he actually tilted it back a bit. Actually, it's more about the football. It's more about the people. It's more about the civility of going into Carrington in the morning, asking the receptionist how she is, talking to the kit man, your head around the the corner of the the laundry room. How is everyone? Bring a box of Norwegian chocolates in or whatever it is. Just, I think he's turned Manchester United from being a corporate organisation and reminded everyone that it's also a family. Yeah, because even
2: recently, Luke Shaw. I think Luke Shaw has only ju- just come out and said he feels like this is the most confident United team he's ever played in. So, how much can you kind of attribute that to Ollie's man management?
1: You see, man management is absolutely key. I mean, the two, the, you know, the two most important things for for managers to survive: a good recruitment, a good man management, the the, the people skills. Ferguson had it. Stick and count. he was absolutely brilliant at at, at it. Um, Mourinho had it when he was at Chelsea first time round. He he lost it, certainly on the man management side. In particular, I couldn't, I mean, I wrote a few columns on it. I couldn't understand anyone who knows Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw is a good player, but he needs to be loved. He needs the arm around him. He needs people to tell him he is really good. And then to say, Luke, you are so, you've got so much talent. You can blossom even more being one of the best left backs in the world. Just work on this, you know, work on... You know, work on elements of your game, work on maybe sort of certain conditioning things in in the gym, maybe have a look at uh, some of your, your, you know, sort of elements to the game that, that he can Im- improve, but do it within a framework of love and appreciation. And I think Mourinho was too cold for, for Luke Shaw. Some players respond to that, you know, some, you know, you might respond to, to people at work sort of shouting at you, but actually I think increasingly players respond more to uh, to sort of so kind of softer words, pointing them in the right direction. Excuse me. Um, so I thought it was very interesting that Luke Shaw came out and said that, and I think it also reflected the fact that Luke Shaw is playing his best football at Manchester United. Um, I mean that injury was awful that he went through. I mean it. I mean, you know, it was. I mean I've talked to players who were on the pitch, and they really can't describe their emotions, let alone what they saw when Luke Shaw got injured like that. So, was it PSV? I, I can't remember, I think it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you guys remember. I mean, it was just, it was a horrendous injury. So it showed a bit of his character to come back from that. Obviously there was a, I think there's a, a slight diffidence to, to to Luke Shaw as a footballer. And he just needed that love that Solskjaer has given him, that Carrick's given him, that you know that the coaching staff have given him to, uh, to to rebuild. Plus also he's got pressure on him for his place.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, as you mentioned, Brandon Williams, obviously waiting in the wings. Um, in terms of Oli, do you think he's got the ability, and he's got you know he's got it in his locker or whatever to, to get United challenging at the very top, to get us eventually challenging for titles? Do you think he has? He is a talented enough manager to do that?
1: Yes, he has. I mean, he's, he's you know he's he's shown that he's he has slowly been building the team in his own image and in Manchester United, what I consider Manchester United's real image with attackers, with creativity, with fullbacks who attack. I think increasingly, and I hope we see it with Maguire, that he steps into midfield, because Maguire can do that. I think you're seeing increasingly with Maguire, he can switch play and he can release the sort of the wide raiders you've got out on the flanks. Um, Absolutely. I think it's very much, you should be incredibly excited about the future on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, Recruitment looks better. He's clearly got having an influence in that, I mean, look, who are your last few signings? Wamba Saka, M- Maguire obviously needs to work on concentration. We saw that in in a couple of games recently, particularly the Bourbon one was, was was different. The Stanislas wasn't particularly impressive. Um, but look, you you know the recruitment's good, the mentality is good, the confidence is back. Things are in a fantastic place with uh, with Manchester United. The issue now is that if you look around. You know, the, the Premier League. Arsenal are reviving under Arteta. They've got some fantastic kids. Manchester City will undoubtedly buy. Obviously, they've got to get through Cass. That will be an issue for them. But if they're not in the Champions League next season, they're going to go full tilt for the uh, the, the, the Premier League. Manchester City will always be a force. Liverpool have got two or three fantastic kids coming through. I'm sure, and I think they need one big signing just to sort of stir them up again. But clearly, they're an exceptional team. So you've got two outstanding teams in the country, City and Liverpool. Manchester United absolutely fighting to to, to get into that third position um, behind them, and and ultimately maybe in two three years' time really push higher up. There's something really good happening at Manchester United. I'm an outsider and and I and I can see it. Um, so you should be excited, but you do need a centre half and you do need De Gea to refind his old form.
2: Kind of with the constant like uncertainty that's been surrounding Paul Pogba, like in recent times, that's kind of been eased, like recently with United's kind of rejuvenation and like run of form. Do you see Pogba actually staying beyond the summer transfer window?
1: Well, first I hope he does uh, for Manchester United uh, because he's he's you know he's a world class player. Um, I think for for the Premier League you want stellar talents like that. to to be in the league so you can see them regularly Uh, but I also think for Paul Pogba himself I think if he looks at what he's got at Manchester United it's a special club it's a family club and that particularly with Solskjaer back he knows it having sort of grown up there you look at him what he's got on the field he's got Matic or McTominay or Fred doing that sort of more holding work Pogba we know he you know he can put in a tackle he's he's shown that recently But Pogba and Fernandes can be a fantastic Axis friendship even uh, for the the future for Manchester United. And I just think that Paul Pogba could have the best three years of his life. And this is a player who won at Juventus and obviously has won the World Cup. But I think he could get great club fulfilment with a Manchester United who are about to relaunch. Everyone can see that with the talent they've got. And Pogba's personality... But also he's sublime footballing skills, the decision making, the way he took on Eric Dyer in the Spurs game and, and just sort of bamboozled him and then and then got the penalty. I mean, he's, he's an outst- he's an outstanding footballer. He's just got a rather annoying agent. So I think if Pogba can control Riola and actually, I don't know, I don't know what the, the situation is. I can't believe I can't believe he needs to leave for financial reasons. Okay, look, I'm sure Real Madrid and Zidane will flutter their eyelashes at him again, and a player of his calibre will want to be playing in the Champions League, will want to be playing for Real Madrid, sorry, of the most famous club in the world. Um, But will he enjoy it as much as he will do at Manchester United with those young players, with the fans supporting him? I mean, Pogba could become a king. He he could become as, as, as loved as Cantona, and that's well, that's probably quite an extreme saying because Cantona was, you know, the rebel, the maverick, the catalyst of, of so much that was good about the Ferguson era. But in terms of, you can't make that comparison, but in terms of the love that Pogba could get, if he settled down and focused and drove Manchester United on and became another king of Old Trafford, I, 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 look, I hope he does. I hope he does for his benefit and for his sake, as well as for Manchester United's. Um, because he's such a special player. And I know he's annoying, and I know some of the, you know, the return from injury and all the Instagram posts and that were were, were slightly sort of strange and thought almost a bit disrespectful. Um, but I think when he's he's focused, and you can see some of the footage that, that the players post of, when, you know, when they're all together. When I was at Daniel James dancing the other day and Pogba was laughing, he said, oh, Manchester United's dressing room was a pretty special place. You won't get that at Real Madrid. So if
2: we're able to actually keep Paul Pogba obviously behind on sun window and obviously add one or two potential stars and strengthen the squad even further, if you look at the United team as it is, how far behind Liverpool do you think we actually are?
1: Far behind Liverpool? Oh, quite yeah, a, yeah. I mean, Liverpool are, you know... Liverpool are
2: exactly
1: answer cut. <laughs> I mean, look, we've got to deal in reality here. I mean, look, Manchester United are fantastic, but they're still a work in progress. I mean, Liverpool are European champions, English champions and the world champions. I can remember when you got... <laughs> it's one of the funniest chants I've ever heard at the airport coming back from Tokyo when you just won the World Club Cup. And there were about 30, 30 United fans in the corner at the bar, nine o'clock in the morning, flying back, uh, singing Bring on the Martians. You know, and that and that is the level that you were at. You know, you you conquered the world. And now you are conquering outer space, um, and that's the level that Liverpool are at. But football is cyclical, particularly with the resources that Manchester United have got. Other people will take points off Liverpool next season because City will be stronger, Arsenal will be stronger, Chelsea will be a force as well. So I think it's going to be a good title race next season. But I think absolutely Manchester United can get back up to that level again. And they should see Liverpool as a, you know, as a, as a challenge. I actually think what's been quite interesting during the pandemic, there's been quite a bit of respect between the, the two sides. I mean, um, I mean, I know people on the sort of community side at at both clubs, and you've got a fantastic foundation with with John running it at Manchester United, and and that's, you know, strange thing to say, but Manchester United have had a very good lockdown, you know, in terms of how the players have behaved. The foundation, the amazing work that your foundation does. And because of its partnerships with schools, inner city schools, and I know they've been working with with Michael Carrick's foundation as well. But the work that the foundation has gone, and please don't ever forget this. This is something you should be so proud of. Your foundation is world class. The work that they do, that John Shields does, that the, was it, 60, 70 people work? There's probably more work full time in the foundation. The fact that your kitchens at Old Trafford have been still been churning out meals, which have gone to sort of people and, um, you know, hungry kids in the local area. People talk about Marcus Rashford's amazing work individually. And a lot of the focus on Manchester United sort of altruism has been focused on, on Rashford's amazing work, but the club have been absolutely brilliant. You've got good people in the building as well. Juan Mata, Harry Maguire. Uh, you should be very proud of what Manchester, look, you're there to win games. You're there to, you know, it's all about results. It's about the glory on the pitch. But don't forget how good Manchester United have been in terms of the community, in terms of the country, in terms of the global community, That the work that all your, what's it, 300 supporters clubs that, that you know, that the money from, was it that the 20th anniversary legends game against Barcelona? You know, that money has gone, um, you know, has been, has been used on the money that uh, they've raised. Um so that was, was that yeah, it was a year ago, wasn't it? The money that you had, the, that game you had, you know, the Manchester United had this money. So Manchester United were in place. I was talking to John Shields about this. And, you know, you've got schools locally where you've got the kids and the families are so poor that the mother is eating one day and the dad the next. Now that, look, we're in the 21st century. We're a wealthy country. We're supposedly a sophisticated country. That should not be happening. The government are letting communities down. And Manchester United are stepping in with their foundation, with the help of the players and filling the void there. So you should be really proud about what your club's done. So anyway, um, foundation speech over. I just think it's I just think it's important that people remember that clubs are not just about 11 players. They're not just about slightly annoying owners. There's so many elements that make up a football club and foundations just go around, you know, saving lives, basically, feeding kids like Marx has done, like the club have done. So um can't remember what your question was. <laughs> Sorry, I was just talking. <laughs> yeah. I think it was how far we how are far behind, behind Liverpool. Liverpool. Are <laughs> OK, so the so general point is I'm not a fan of the Glazers, but as a club, you've got so much going for you. Foundation, players, Solskjaer, academy, things like that. Um, in terms of how far but yeah you're behind, you're behind liverpool i mean you know you've got intelligent fans you don't need to tell me that you know me to tell you that i understand there's 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 tribalism uh, and you you know fans you go on social media and fans will say oh well we'll give them a good game well look liverpool have raised the bar just like manchester united raised the bar just like manchester city raised the bar but manchester united will respond it's the history of the club you know you fought back from you know Major adversities off the field, you know, on the field, which obviously anything off the field puts on the field into perspective. But you know, you've been through a lot as a club, and there's a resilience to Manchester United. And I think you've got good people in the right positions now. Harry Maguire's a good captain. I wasn't really a fan of Valencia as a captain. I liked Ashley Young, but I didn't necessarily feel he wasn't really going to start. So I just think you've got a good captain in place. Look, Maguire needs to raise his game with one or two things on the pitch, concentration, response. I get that. But you've got good people um, running the club now. I mean, Ed Woodward, I think, has maybe taken a step back in terms of maybe his public profile. I, I don't know. Um, but actually, I mean, the thing about Woodward, I'm not, you know, I've been very critical of him. But I think mean, he does, act, I think he actually cares about the club he wants manchester united to to do well clearly it's obviously in his interest but i just think the balance is much better now um again i'm not a fan of the glazers i just think their business model i think it stinks i think that you know taking money out of the club like they do i i I hate the idea that the wealthiest footballing organization the biggest money-spinning organization in the country has still got debts you know i mean sort that out um Racers Man- will sell Manchester United in maybe in a few years' time and they'll make two, three billion pounds profit, and they'll walk away absolutely laughing, and they'll they'll have a nice barbecue in the Everglades and pat each other on the back and say how clever they've been. Um but actually do it with a little bit more class. I mean I remember I go back to that game at Wigan when I saw them turn up and I saw their security people push Manchester United fans out of the way, and I thought, you are an absolute disgrace. And I just thought, well, actually, if you own Manchester United, engage with the fans, just show a little bit more hum- humanity, a little bit more humility, a little bit more enjoyment. You've got Manchester United. You can watch Marcus Rashford for free. You can go down to the training ground, watch Mason Greenwood play. You know, it's just what a fantastic, they'll call it a financial asset. I would call it just just a fantastic... You know, it's like being a kid and having the biggest toy set, train set, whatever. I mean, it's just... Enjoy it. So, look, people criticise Abramovich, but Abramovich loves Chelsea. Abramovich genuinely enjoys going down to the training ground at Cobham when he's allowed in the country and actually watching the under-16s, the under-17s, the ladies' team, the first-team train. You know, enjoy it. Footballers' is, ownership is about custodianship, but it's also about a love as well as a financial return for a club. And anyway, the Glazers don't get that. So, but look, otherwise you've got so much going for you as a club. But will you catch Liverpool? Not going to happen for a year or so. But you're on the right path. That was
0: actually going to be my, my final question. You know, with the if we make the right signings, if we keep Pogba and some of the the other issues you've addressed, how long do you think it is before we can start? Not winning a title, but being in that conversation and challenging for the title, do you think that's going to be another another couple of seasons?
1: No, I think you'll be in the conversation next season. I think that Manchester United as they are now, when they go to Anfield, and I hope it's a full Anfield, and I hope it's a full An- uh, Old Trafford when Liverpool come, this will be a different Manchester United. There'll be more on the front foot, there'll be more belief, there'll be more attacking. With luck, there'll be a bit more defensive resilience, particularly if someone like Nathan Ackie comes in. Ackie's not the tallest, but he's got the mobility, he's got the pace, he's got the reading of the game, he's left footed, he, he'll balance Maguire. So I think if you sort out the sort of defence like that, you know, you've got players who won't be in awe of going to, to, to Anfield. You know, Pogba's not going to be cowed by the cop. Bruno Fernandes, is not going to, you know, worry about being in a, in, you know, in, a, in a midfield battle. However, good hard workers and probable footballers of the year like Jordan Henderson are. I mean, you've, you've got players, you've got the belief back. So you'll be in the conversation next season. Can I see you winning the title next season? No, but I, th- I can see you getting a trophy somewhere along the line and gradually rebuilding. I mean, you know, I went through a few years of watching uh, Ferguson's teams build and have setbacks and just come back from away trips and difficult foreign trips in europe and build and build and build throughout the 90s and then you won the champions league i saw you do it in the in the league as well you know it it takes time i tell you what it's going to a mighty fight for the title next season which might actually reduce the sort of the the final points total a bit because city will be in there scrapping chelsea and arsenal will take points off people wolves and leicester on the fringes will, will be a threat and then you've got clearly Liverpool and, and Manchester City, the front two. But absolutely, Manchester United. If you told me Manchester United will finish third next season, that wouldn't surprise me at all. No, hopefully, yeah,
0: moving in the right direction. Henry, mm-hmm. it's been an absolute pleasure as always, and we appreciate all the support and uh, the fact you, you know you're willing to come on the channel and have a chat with us. We we always appreciate that. It's been great chatting to you. I don't know about you, Ronaldo, but after speaking to Henry Winner, I feel a little bit more confident. He was quite—he <laughs> yeah, seems to be, uh, you he, know, fully behind all The, the, he's the he's players very, and everything. I know he's
2: very, very positive. Actually, He's basically sounded as if he can see, and obviously he's very close in with the club, he could see that um, United are very much on the rise and big things are happening. One thing that stood
0: out for me is he mentioned Jadon Sancho. He said he's a player that he could see in a Manchester United shirt. What do you make of that?
2: I'm buzzing to be honest. Obviously we need, obviously, it's, been well, it's been well spoken about, we need reinforcements, we need a club or a squad, so to speak, that has competition at nearly every single position. If you look at the likes of Liverpool, and you look at the likes of City, who are basically who we're chasing at the moment, they can pretty much field two starting 11s, and that's what United need to get to, so if you can get a player like Sancho, with obviously the elevation of Greenwood, then it can only be a good thing.
0: Last time I spoke to Henry Winter about yeah. a year ago, he was sort of downplaying the hype around Mason Greenwood. He was reluctant to to overhype him. Um, certainly not the case anymore. Now you you've played football at an academy level for a Premier League club. What have you made around Mason Greenwood and the, the sort of, the way that the club are now sort of almost willing to hype him up because he's that mm. talented?
2: Well, obviously, as you know, as a young player, when you kind of Get into kind of the first team mix and you've had a really, really successful youth career the way that Greenwood has. Obviously scoring, what, 40 goals and assists a season, Mm -hmm. basically just ruining that that level of football. Um, People kind of think it just transfers seamlessly to the first team level. It doesn't always work that way. When I was watching Greenwood play in the first team from when I've seen him play at the youth level, he was just a little bit less expressive, a little bit less confident. Not sh- not willing to take as many risks as he would take that obviously risk risk and reward kind of thing. So people were kind of thinking, oh, he's playing a bit safe. He's not delivering the the goods straight away. Even though he's young, but people are he's been hyped up. But that's usually the transition that you get from a youth to a first team level. And then when you develop the confidence, you become more established. You kind of get the results that you're getting from him now. But you see Greenwood now is basically what he was in youth football, but now he's, he's become more established and more confident to the point where he's like, now I'm going to actually show the world what I'm made of at first team. I can take risks, I'm going to take people on, I'm going to double step over and put it in the bottom corner. That's, that, that's, that's basically what he's been doing for as long as he can remember. And Now that he's got that confidence and you know that people can back him and Solskjaer's backing him and he's not scared of making mistakes. I think it's, it's looking very promising and I don't think we've even seen the best of him. We definitely haven't seen the best of him and that's kind of how it works when you transfer from the youth level to first team.
0: Quite a, scary, yeah, quite a scary, mouth-watering spots, prospect yeah. that I'll we've afford- not even seen the best yeah. of Mason Greenwood. Have you not even seen the best yet of the Tier One podcast? We're going to be bringing no. this every week. We're going to be speaking to the very top Was tier it? journalists. <laughs> Ronaldo will be here. Oh, I'm Jay. I'll be back as well. This has been Stretford Paddock. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for watching.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.